The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. My mom became pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. And while she was pregnant with me, her father, who was the local trash collector, drove into the town square. There he saw two police officers. He stuck a gun out the window and opened fire on those police officers, killing one and critically wounding another. And eventually he was captured and brought to stand trial where he was facing the death penalty. And uh, during his trial, my mom got up and testified that the reason that her father had shot and killed that police officer was that that police officer had raped her and she was now pregnant with me. And that's how my life started. It's a wonderful chaos. And the atheist pray? It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. So today, Andy, we have Mr. Tresler, Nelson Tresler. Remarkable story. When his mother was 15 years old with him, she was raped by a police officer. Her father shot two police officers and that was he, what was he was born into. And he wrote a book that's called The Unlucky Sperm Club. And the, the tagline on it is, you are not a victim of your circumstances. And, uh, and I just thought it'd be fascinating to discuss the dynamic because before he was born, his mom is already testifying at the court to sort of save her father from going to prison for the rest of his life. So it would be nice to, you know, unpack how that life looked, what he had to overcome and yeah, what brought him there. So we're doing that today. So Nelson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. I have to tell you before we begin, when I saw the title, the unlucky sperm club, I was going to book you before I even saw you because I thought this is just a fantastic title. You know what? That's great because it can go either way. I've had people who say, oh, you know what? I looked at it and I'm like, oh, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> And then the other way, you know, people love it and, and it intrigues them. Yeah. I mean, I think what it did for me is it immediately my mind started to wander because I've often even said things like, oh, I feel like I was lucky to be born at this time where I didn't have to go into a war. And so in some weird way, I'd say, uh, you know, I would never have referred to it as being in the lucky sperm club. But on another level, I think, well, I've not had to do some of go through some of the tortures other generations may have had to go through. Yeah. yeah and, and I spin that in my book. I mean, uh, I, I call it the unlucky sperm club. But by the end of the book, I realize that I'm really part of the lucky sperm club, you know, yeah. having to deal with all the things that I had to deal with and making me who I am. Yeah. How long did it take for you to be comfortable to share this story? Like when was the first time you remembered 
I can share this story and own it and not feel like, oh, maybe I want to hide it. Like, when, when was that for you? Uh, yeah, I never shared the story with anybody. When when I left uh, when I left my town, I never shared it with anybody except for my wife for forty five years. Wow! And uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that weakened me. I ran from it. I didn't want to be associated with it. Uh, and we we can get into the story so people understand what what I'm talking about. But yeah, it took me a long time to share it. And now, you know, it's the same exact thing that happened to me. I just gave it a different meaning. My mom became pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. And while she was pregnant with me, her father, who was the local trash collector in a small town, uh, drove into the town square. There he saw two police officers. He stuck a gun out the window and opened fire on those police officers, killing one and critically wounding another. And eventually he was captured and brought to stand trial where he was facing the death penalty. And uh, during his trial, my mom got up and testified that the reason that her father had shot and killed that police officer was that that police officer had raped her and she was now pregnant with me. And that's how my life started. Um, you know, it didn't get any easier from there. Of course, I'm born to a 15-year-old mother. Uh, eventually, she finds a man and marries uh, when she's 21. Come to find out, he's very physically and emotionally abusive to me and my mom on a, on a daily basis. They quickly have four children in quick succession. And because of the lifestyle that they're living, a lot of the basic needs of my siblings fall upon me. And uh, I remember at the end of fourth grade, you know, looking down and, and being excited to see where I was going to go to fifth grade. And I see that I have straight F's and that I'm going to be repeating the fourth grade. I missed like 50 or 60 days of school that year. I couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't spell. The next year I got placed into special ed. Come to find out I have dyslexia. And that's the way my life went for a while until one day my stepfather was walking home uh, drunk from a bar and somebody else was driving home drunk from that bar and they ended up hitting and killing him. And it's at this time, here's my mom. She has five small children. She's dropped out of school in the eighth grades, never worked outside of the home. And as hard as her life has been to this point, uh, she could not figure out a way that she was going to make it work. Uh, on her own with five small children. So it's at this time that she decided that she was going to take her own life. And uh, fortunately, she was not successful. But when she got out of the hospital, that's when my family got split up. And I went to go live with my grandmother, the wife of the man who shot and killed the police officer. And uh, that was kind of the fork in the road, because for the first time in my life, there was always food in the house. The lights always turned on when you hit the switch and there was always heat in the winter. Uh, and that was not the case when I was living with my mom and stepdad. Uh, so I started to reflect upon where I was going, you know, with my life. And I didn't like where I was going. And one day a counselor came from the local university to talk about what you needed to do to get into college. And like all the bells and whistles went off in my head. Like if I could get a college degree from that point on, my life would be perfect. That's what I thought. And so I started to think, okay, I'm going to do this. And then that voice in the back of your head screams at you anytime you're going to try to do something that's uncomfortable. And I remember thinking to myself, Nelson, you can't read, you can't write, you can't spell, you have dyslexia. You know, of the family that I came from, my mom came from 15 
children. Uh, only two had ever graduated high school. None had even ever attended a college. But, you know, I, I knew it was an uphill battle, but I knew where I was headed as well. And a long story short, it took me 12 years, four different universities, four years in the United States Air Force, but I finally became that first person to graduate college and get a college degree. Wow. <clears throat> That's insane. When you, you know, I mean, when you share this story, you know, first, it makes me want to cry because I, I don't, I see the adult you, but I, I can't help but feel the the fourth grade or the fifth grade that's that has no control over their life at all and the circumstances around them are dictating their reality and they don't have any power there's such a powerlessness in that situation it's hard for me to like empathetically allow that in because it just it feels so overwhelming i i think i think the thing that saves uh people in these situations is they don't understand that it's different and i think that's that was my saving grace is i didn't realize things were different out there, that other families didn't act like this and do these sorts of things and live in these conditions. So I think that was my saving grace. Mm. You know, I, I just, I saw this as you were speaking, I'm sure you've heard the connection, but I, I watched that Netflix movie, The Hillbilly Elegy, which I'm sure has been yeah. mentioned a lot to you. Um, and, and as you spoke, there's the child in that who basically his mother was a drug addict and he goes to live with grandma at some point. And yeah. uh, and and it's interesting because it feels a bit similar to in some weird way. Would you almost see your grandma to really be your role model? Did she sort of shape who you became? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, my gram had 15 children. She's lived through the hell of her husband shooting and killing a police officer and dealing with that, uh, you know, grew up during the Great Depression. But one thing, uh, you know, my gram told me every single day. Nelson, you're going to make something of your life. You're going to do something. And she said it so lovingly and she believed it so thoroughly. And I loved her so much that I didn't want to let her down. So I think that was a lot of my drive as well. Wow. That's beautiful. I spoke to my brother last evening and he said to me, he called, we went to Catholic school and one of the nuns took him aside when we were quite young, and she said, "I feel like you're a natural-born leader," and uh, and he from that age immediately connected to that the rest of his life, and uh, and he said, you know, it's now thirty odd years after that moment. He said he called her to let her know what that belief in him meant to him and how much it helped him, and uh, and and as I hear the, the, these role models. Uh, they, 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 no one knows how such a little gesture has a massive impact on another individual. Yeah. And, and I think that can be positive or I think it can be negative. I think there's so many people out there in those author, authority positions. They need to be very careful how they talk to uh, children, because I think a lot of that has to do with somebody telling them what they're going to do. And then you have that self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, whether it be a parent or a teacher or a coach, uh, because a lot of people, you know, I, I've also been told I wasn't going to amount to anything from a lot of people in my, in my town and even in my family. Um, you know, whenever I got accepted to college, 
you know, uh, everyone in my family wasn't a huge fan. I mean, it was always said with a wink and a smile, but it, they're like, boy, they must be letting anybody into college or geez, don't you have to know how to spell to get into college and, you yeah. know, all these things. And, uh, that kind of drove me. I mean, one thing in my life is I'm not going to let somebody else dictate uh, the type of life that I'm going to live. And if there are people out there that are doubting on me, not only am I going to show them that I can make it, I'm going to show them that I can be the best. And uh, mm. I've used that throughout my life. Uh, you know, I became obsessed with goals and personal development after achieving that first big goal of getting a college degree. And I've been able to, you know, I work for a top five commercial real estate firm. I became the top salesman worldwide in the retail division several times. I've started more than 10 businesses, including one of the largest privately held pet resorts in the country. Uh, you know, I just celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary. Mm. You know, all, all these things are things that have driven me to you know, in the back of my mind, I think there's something to, sh to show those people like, you know, here, I'll show you. Uh, you don't think I'm going to amount to anything because of where I came from. Not only am I going to show you that I can, I'm going to show you that I can, you know, far exceed anybody's expectations. I've got so many questions, but I always want to leave space for Bambo. So I'm, I'm going to ask him if, if you got anything you'd like to ask before I continue. I'm feeling very emotional being with you um like as you're speaking I, I can see you and the little boy like uh, mm. like being held in in this big man's body yeah and i just want to thank you for being on the show and for how you're showing up oh, um, i i recognize the way you're talking also i came from a kind of abusive background 10-year drug addiction five suicide attempts in my life. And I remember I also used to speak. I'm going to show you. I'm going to. And I, I realized when I spoke, it was coming from a, a pain of never being recognized. And I'm wondering if you resonate with that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think some of that, especially early on in my life, uh, it was to prove some people wrong. And uh, I got, I, I, I got to that point and really used that as fuel early on. But then once you once you realize what your potential is, and we all have this incredible potential within us, then it's more like, how far can I go? You know, how far can I take this? I mean, I've been blessed with so much potential. I've been blessed with circumstances that drive me. I've been blessed with a, an awesome family that supports me and believes in me. And now, you know, 40 years later, uh, I'm a totally different person than I was then because I'm striving to become that best version of myself possible. And I think we owe it to the world to do that, all of us. Hmm. Have you ever considered motivational speaking? Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm training right now to do that. I, I feel like that's a great opportunity to share my message and get it out there. And I, I'm at a point in my life, uh, you know, I've exited my businesses. I've retired from commercial real estate. And you get to that point in your life, like, what are you going to do if time and money didn't matter? What would you do? And I reflected upon the life that I had lived. And I feel like 
you know, I was, I w- I've lived this life to share it with others, to inspire and motivate them to understand that they're not victims of their circumstances. I mean, we all, you know, and, and my circumstances might seem extreme. I know everybody's circumstances, no matter what they are, people struggle with them and they need help to overcome them. And some of them might seem mundane compared to others, but they're still their tough circumstances that they have to overcome. And if my story uh, and my book and my program can help people do that, that's that's what I feel like uh, the rest of my life is is out here to do is to help other people. I want to change the world one person and one inspiring goal at a time. I've got a question going back a little bit to your history. When, when you had such a different background than many of the people that you weren't aware of it at the time, but when you had the background and you went to college and you started meeting people that had an entirely different a life experience how was it and and like what were the things you discovered and and when you started to realize well in some ways my life experience is so different than these people like how did that evolve you know you know at college so i got the opportunity to go to college my first time uh to play football i was a pretty good athlete that's the only way i ever got into college um be under no illusion that as soon as I set a goal to go to college that I turned into this A student. Uh, far from it. I think I had a 2.2 grade point average through high school, uh, which I don't know. How, I, I don't know how I got into college. You know, I guess they massaged the admission requirements because of football. And it, it wasn't a, one of those nice Swedish massages. It was, you know, the elbow and the back tears coming out of your eyes massage. But I got in but I got to the end of the first year and I had a bill of $3,500. I was living with my gram at the time. She made $4,800 a year on social security. There's seven other people living with her at the time. So there was no way I was ever going to be able to go back to college. That's when I joined the air force. And mm. the first time I ever flew in an airplane and I'm flying, you know, to basic training and I look out the window And it hits me that, Nelson, you get to be anybody that you want to be now. Nobody knew my backstory. Nobody knew my history. Nobody knew the circumstances of my birth. And it was the most liberating thing because when I landed there, Tressler meant absolutely nothing to any of those people. And I got to be anybody that I wanted to be. And that's kind of where I determined that, you know what, this is the, this is my life. And, uh, it, the person who's going to make it or break it is me. And that's when I just started to uh, go for everything that I could and, and really strive mm-hmm. to reach my potential. That's beautiful. Like, I love that, that, that you know, I, 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 I call those life do-overs and I've had like two or three of those in my life where, where it was like, okay, I, you know, I've lived in several countries and each time you go into a new country, you're like, wow, I can redefine myself in any way I want now because there's no history. So when you speak that way, I almost think everyone should have an opportunity to have the do-over because in a weird way, whatever you did to that point, some of the habits you made weren't serving you, but it's hard to break them because your environment reinforces them. Yeah, and and that's a lot of times, that's all we need is that different, that switch. And uh, Mm. You know, you talk about public speaking and the speech that I'm talk uh, that I'm working on right now is 
why are you bothering swatting at flies while you're standing in a pile of crap? And yeah. uh, that pile of crap can represent the places we are, the people that we're hanging out with, or the beliefs that we have. And yeah. if you want to do over, look at, you know, if you're swatting at flies and flies are those problems and those frustrations that surround the, the piles of crap that we're in, if you're, if you find yourself squatting at a bunch of these problems, mm-hmm. take a look down at your feet. Chances are you're standing yeah. in a pile of crap and w- whether that's the place that you're at, you know, your work or your town mm-hmm. or your country or what have you, yeah. uh, you got to get out of that pile of crap or those flies are just going to keep coming. It can be the people that you're mm-hmm. around or it can be the beliefs that you have. I had a lot different beliefs growing up about success and money and family, yeah. all of those things than I have now. And uh, because of that, I had issues. But yeah, so uh, you get to you get to have those do overs, but you got to figure out where you got to get out of first before yeah. you. Have those. But yeah, they're 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 liberating. Yeah, I had a beautiful experience the last uh, the last uh, week. I've been doing this tour along the West Coast, just walking, and everyone says why are you doing this? And, and like, as if it was the, like, uh, you know, why climb Mount Everest? And, and you know, the answer is always because it's there, you know, there's a coast and it, that, that's a good enough reason. Um, but what I noticed is, is that because I'm actively doing this, I'm posting more pictures because I'm doing it, I'm taking shots and I'm really enjoying it. And I've had uh, individuals from, I lived in, in Vienna, Austria for many years. And I've had two individuals from, from Vienna say, listen, I don't like that you're publicizing so many pictures. And I had this funny moment. It was a realization today as I was walking, I was remembering, oh, the culture that says, hey, listen, don't promote yourself that much. Keep yourself low, because if you're trying to be bigger than anything, then actually that's a negative. And, and it and it just hit me, Bambos and I spoke earlier, what were the realizations I was having on this trip? And it was one of the realizations was, oh my God, I forget how the environment you are in or the society, right? It can be your friend group, but it can be the country, it, you know, and, or the world, right? Because you really can move down into a, a macro or a micro vision of it. That group will really pull you and keep you in places where you're not even aware of it because you just were born into it. So this was a humor as I was realizing, wow, when I was in Austria, I was really being limited by a culture which was trying to push me down all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you hear that saying, you know, if, if you're hanging out with uh, five millionaires, you're going to be the sixth. If you're hanging out with five losers, you're going to be the sixth. And we, we really need to be uh, very hyper focused on the people we spend a lot of time with because we're going to gravitate towards what they're doing and, and their thoughts and their, yeah. their programming. Yeah. I had the humorous situation where my wife was hanging out with these single women who are trying to sabotage our relationship. Yeah. And, and every time she'd go out with them, she'd come back with like, you know, all of this weird stuff and I could hear her wheels spinning. And I one day said, you know what? Like, you can't hang out with those people anymore. Like, I don't want their stuff in my head. Like, you got to like, and it was a very funny thing because as soon as I heightened the consciousness around it, she became very aware where the where she was slipping into this. 
if I'm miserable, I want you to be miserable because I don't want to feel so bad about my own life. <laughs> no, and and that's so true. I, I I think you know it's those people who are reflecting the way they feel upon you. And uh, if you're feeling good and you're living a good life and they're not, uh, that makes that makes them feel even worse about their situations. So, yeah. Yeah. You got to be careful with that group of friends for sure. Yeah. I noticed I even went back to sorry, Bambos. I don't I keep going. So it just interrupt, like put your finger up because I keep hearing myself speak because I'm enjoying myself. Sorry. Um, the um, I, I was in the U.S. in December, January of this year, and I noticed compared to uh, the Netherlands, there's a very heavy, heavy energy in the U.S., very depressed, very anxious, very fearful, a lot of media pr promoting the fear and the anxiety. And what I saw was that I was upbeat, I was laughing, but at some point, the fun and the humor I started to see was creating tension in the people that were feeling the tension. So in a weird way, I felt like, well, I got to tone down the happiness and, that I'm feeling because if I share it in a way, there's this big contrast with the people who aren't feeling it. And now they feel uncomfortable. So now I have to make myself like appear to be less happy than I am. So they don't have to feel as uncomfortable. Yeah. You, you know, I, I talk about this in my book, the unlucky sperm club. It's, it's called the crab bucket mentality. Mm -hmm. And uh, in short, you know, if you put one crab in a bucket next to the sea, that crab can crawl out and go to the sea. But if you put more than one crab in that bucket, if a crab tries to crawl out of that bucket, the other crabs will reach up and pull it back down. And if mm -hmm. it continues, they'll break its legs. And if it continues to get out, try to get out after that, they'll actually kill it. And humans have kind of adopted this strategy, you know, whether it be success or health or whatever, whenever they see you going above and beyond, they start to want to pull you back down to where they are. And if you continue to do it, I mean, they'll come out with, you know, pitchforks after you. And I've seen a little bit of this since I've, um, you know, put my book out there. Some of the family that I thought I had a great relationship with uh, have just come out and started to call me all kinds of names and liar, liar and this. And I'm yeah. like, where is this coming from? Like, we had a great relationship for 40 years. We never had a, a crossed word. And now all of a sudden, I, I'm this horrible guy who put this book out there and I'm a money grubber. And, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in my faith. And it, it was just mind, yeah. mind blowing. Yeah, there's a term. We actually did a show on this one. It, it, there's a term that that's used in uh, in uh, the UK. It's in Australia called cutting the tall poppy. I think that's the term in Australia. Basically, anyone who wants to elevate themselves, they other people who feel like they're putting themselves above them, they have to cut them down to size. And uh, that show, unfortunately, uh, our our audio engineer, editor, uh, producer said, Andy, the quality of the show wasn't good enough. So we didn't get it made it into the actual podcast. But uh, well, but I love it, the topic. Yeah, the, there's two ways to be the tallest building in town, right? You can build it, which takes a lot of time and effort and energy. Or you can break down all the other taller buildings than you, and that's easier to do. And I think that people have adopted, you know, uh, both those strategies. But I think people who aren't willing to put forth that time and that energy mm. and that effort, they go about trying to just tear down anything that seems yeah. taller than they are. Tell us a little bit about when you decided to write the book, what was happening for you? 
Yeah. So like I said, I was able to exit some of my businesses. Uh, I made a goal to be in and out of commercial real estate in 20 years. And uh, I, I did that in, in 2020. And uh, I just got to the point where I, I'm not one to put my feet in the sand and watch the waves crash in. It would drive me bonkers. I know a lot of people that's kind of their end goal, but not mine. Uh, and I still have a 15 year old home at home. So I had, I had to figure out what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Uh, cause I'd love to travel and hike roads and do all that. I mean, that, that's my end game, but, uh, with a, with a child at home, I can't do that yet. So I'm like, what do I want to do? And that's when I started reflecting upon the life that I lived and, uh, you know, this story that I have. And, uh, you know, I, I think when people hear that story, their their mouths kind of hang open. Uh, and there's a lot of twists and turns in that story. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you, as I said here today, I still don't know who my father is for sure. Um, so and I talk a lot about this in my book, The Unlucky Sperm Club. Uh, things are not as cut and dry as as they seem. But hold on. Um, hold on. So so even that isn't clear. No. And, and, and there hasn't been the desire to do your 23 and me or anything like I've that. Done it. I've done it. Uh, and, and really the book came out. I thought I knew who my father was. Uh, and there were some other half sisters in town, uh, that I thought growing up like, okay, but you know, never had a relationship with them. And I, and I talk a lot about this in the book. I don't want to spoil the book, but, uh, but then, yeah, 23 and Me came out, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, who I thought was my father is not my father, and now I don't know who it is. So, so even the fact that your grandfather shot the policeman who he thought was the father wasn't even the situation, wasn't true. Yeah, and, and again, in that story, there's a lot of twists and turns and a lot of theories on why things happened and why my mom did what she did. Uh, okay, but yeah, growing up though that that was the story, and uh, and again, and what, what, what happened to your grandfather in this? He ended up dying in prison, uh, more than forty years behind bars. Forty years, wow. Yeah, forty years, and and the the because there was, I guess, it would have been statutory rape if if your if your mom was fifteen years old. Was there ever a uh, a anything that was like dealt with regarding that, or was that all a made up story? Just, I, I know this is the book, but is that. Yeah. My, I, I mean, my grandfather was facing the death penalty for what he did after my mom's testimony. The first trial ended in a hung jury. The state took the death penalty off the table and only sought life in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay. Wow. <laughs> And then there were always appeals to try to get that sentence lessened. So, uh, you know, ev everything had to stay status quo to make sure that uh, there was still that opportunity for my grandfather. And is your mother still alive or what, what's? Yeah, my mom's still alive. She was just out here. My oldest son just got married and uh, her and my stepdad came out. And, you know, that, that's one of the great things in, in this story is not only was I able to turn my life around and live a much better life? Uh, my mom, as soon as my stepfather had was hit and killed by the drunk driver, met another man uh, who was the total opposite, who treated her like a queen and 
uh, for the last 35 years has given her a life and raised my three younger brothers as his own. Uh, and, and she's living a life that she couldn't have imagined. And, uh, she's a great grandmother and a great mother. And, um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, she's the real hero of the story, I think. And when you, cause I mean, in some weird way, there's like, like kind of a mystical history there. Like, how is it when you discuss with her, the history of things like even not knowing who your father is like, do those subjects come up or how do you address that with her? Yeah, I mean, when when I was writing the book, of course, I was going back and forth with my mom, uh, getting some of the stories and, and uh, fine tuning, fine tuning them. And it was hard for my mom because my mom will be the first to admit, you know what? She made a lot of mistakes growing up. But, you know, and, and people ask me, like, do, do you have a great do you have a relationship with your mom? Do you hold her accountable? For, no, I mean, my mom is 15 years old and pregnant. And then testified. And in fact, after my mom's testimony, the year or so after that, she was targeted by the local police because of her testimony. And she was thrown into jail several times. Uh, and then she, you know, hooks up with this man who beats her almost daily. She has five kids, no education. And I mean, what, what, do I, what am I supposed to expect from her? I mean, yeah. the fact that any of her kids made it out in, in our living productive lives with all of her kids are, I mean, that's, that's goes back to her and dealing with her circumstances and, and really going above and beyond that. And now she's a great grandmother and uh, my, my kids love her and all of her grandchildren love her. And uh, you know, we, we can't be too quick to judge uh, no. until we take, you know, take a walk in their shoes. And, and I've done that. Uh, because I, that, that was not always my feelings on my mom. Like I, I blamed her, like, why am I dealing with this? Like I wasn't even born, you know, and, and I talk about some of the stories in my book where, you know, in eighth grade, I go to pick up, uh, my date and my cousin drives me and, uh, they make up a story that, Hey, she has, we have to pick her up because we're going to a family event. And I'm like, oh, well, we can bring her home. No, 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 we'll pick her up. It's on the way. And then come to find out, I dated this girl all through high school and her parents tell me, they're like, we weren't going to let her go because of who you guys were. We followed you to the dance to make sure you didn't pull off the road and rape her. And then we told her the only way she was able to go with you is if we picked her up a half an hour early because we didn't trust you guys to bring her home. So, I mean, I dealt with, I dealt with those sorts of things. And... Uh, you know, I, I actually, I mistakenly was dating the granddaughter of the police officer who lived from my grandfather's shooting and found that out while I was over at her house and her dad, who was also a police officer said, do you know who this kid is? And I was never allowed to see her again. So there there were all these things uh, in my childhood that I had to deal with because of what happened. And I definitely had that victim mindset growing up sometimes because I felt like I, I didn't do any of this stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I can't help that. Why Why are people, you know, fighting out against me? But um, you know what? It, it made me who who I am today. Mm. And uh, people ask me, would you, would you trade any of it? I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't trade any of it. I still can't get over the fact that, that in, 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 in not in a judgment way, but in a like, like, 
that you don't even have any idea who your father would be because your mom must, I think, have some clue. If it wasn't him, it could have been him, him, or him. She she had a couple hit and runs, as she puts it. Uh, okay, so you had a couple hit and runs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got so. it. Oh, okay. So we've all had a hit and run here and there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, she – and you know what? Uh, the – I didn't have a relationship with any father. I mean, I have my stepfather now with my mom and mm-hmm. uh, I call him dad. It took me 40 years to call him dad, to call wow. him dad. And uh, we have a great relationship. We get together a few times a year. I mean, uh, he, by the he, way, uh, that makes me, I, I almost want to cry when you said that, like, like, it took you 40 years to say to him and call him dad. What did it mean for you to call him dad? Yeah, I, I think it meant because my other brother, he had raised them from the time they were very young. And I was off living with my grandmother at that time. So I didn't have that same relationship. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I just always called him by his first name was Pat. And uh, we started to build this relationship as I was an adult and he would come out to Vegas to visit me. And I have a cabin up in Utah and we would go up there and hang out and have fun. And we started to vacation together with my mom. And it got to the point like he talked to my mom and he's like, why, you know, why doesn't he call me dad? And we had a conversation and I'm like, you know, and then I started to call him dad and, uh, you know, that relationship flourished and, like I said, they were just out for my, my son's wedding last week or two weeks ago now, I think. And just a great relationship with him. And I'm so grateful for him. I mean, I'm so grateful that, um, you know, my mom has lived the life that she's lived because of him. And my brothers have lived the life because of him. And uh, what a blessing he's been in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, I find that so beautiful. I think there's a weird uh, when you when, when the step to call someone dad. There's a humility in that that I hear that would take me to say I'm going to I'm going to be vulnerable enough to because I, what I hear come up in me when I hear when I when I hear myself say it is that if I'm going to call him dad I'm going to allow that love that I never received into my life and that's what that's what I that's why it touched me so deeply. Yeah, and and you know here's this guy. Um, so my mom had me when she was 15. My mom is uh, five years older than my stepdad. And uh, so he's 10 years older than me. He's like five, two, has red hair. And uh, he introduces me as his son and my other brothers as his son. Now, my other brothers are six, 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 three, six, two. And here's this little five foot two redheaded, you know, guy. And he's like, these are my sons, not my stepsons. And the people look at him and they're like, dude, your wife's got some explaining to do to you. (laughs) That is beautiful. I I have another weird question. You mentioned earlier that you had dyslexia and yet you wrote a book. So how does that how how did it go from, Okay, I have this dyslexia and how does it then a book get produced? Yeah, a lot, lot of hard work. Uh, I'm so glad that I was born in in the time when the technology is what it is. Uh, a lot of talk to text, uh, and I've I've come to the ability where you know I, I can read very well. Uh, 
but I still cannot spell. And uh, no matter how hard I try, uh, it, it's a battle for me. But, you know, if I can talk to text, I can proofread it well enough to get it to an editor that can uh, clean it up for me and make sure that I'm uh, spelling things right and using the right there and the right band and all those sorts of things. But yeah, it, it was something too that I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it uh, to show other people that, you know, writing a book is one of those things I think a lot of people have on their bucket list. Mm. And if somebody with dyslexia who still, as they said here today, uh, can't spell, you know, anything, uh, you know, over four letters, uh, if I can do it, you know, so can you where there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah, I love it. By the way, I, I, I also uh, have had trouble reading uh, as a kid. Um, I had to go to special reading and, and, and I was never di- diagnosed with dyslexia, but I, I certainly wouldn't have surprised me if there was some degree of it. And I also saw that, um, that the ability to even speak, if, 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 if you read, the, Bombos has read my book 15 times and uh, he reads it because it's kind of like a meditation. So I, I, he's not crazy. He is crazy, but not for that reason. <laughs> but what, what I found interesting is that he says, when I read your book, I hear your voice because you speak exactly as you read. And that's very much similar to what you just said, is that I'm actually doing what you do, is I'm reading basically how I would speak, or I'm writing as I would speak, say. Yeah, and... and- the way that I consume my knowledge is through Audible. Like I've always been an Audible learner because of dyslexia. So mm-hmm. I listen to my books. Uh, I can listen to them a lot faster than I can read them. Uh, yeah. And I, I actually recorded my book on Audible, which, you know, that that's one of those things where I've listened to literally, I, I would say close to a thousand books over 25 years, maybe more. But to hear your voice, download your book on something that you've listened to for 20 years is just something that was so satisfying. And as I'm driving down the road in my car, listening to my book and my voice, uh, it's kind of one of those just, wow, you know, I, I made it exactly. I made it type of I moment. And uh, the smile on my face, you know, driving down the road was just, you know, one of the biggest things I've had in my life. That is beautiful. Nelson, did you discover anything about your past or about yourself while writing that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of reflection on there. I think there was a lot of therapy in writing this book because I hadn't really thought about a lot of those moments uh, for a long, long time. Like I said, I ran from them. It weakened me. But then as I kind of got into uh, reflecting upon those and drawing strength from it, I think I realized what type of person was inside of me and uh, could get through that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think writing that book really helped me deal with a lot of things that happened in my childhood that I had kind of pushed way, way in the back of my brain. What were the big takeaways from it? Uh you're not a victim of your circumstances. I mean, uh, you're, you are actually a product of your choices. And that's one of the, 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 the fact that we have free agency, that we get to choose every single day what we want to do is the greatest. So, so sorry to interrupt you, but would you say that that's something you only discovered through writing the book? Or would you say that, that you were aware of that and you just articulated it through the book? Yeah, no, I, I became aware of that. I think... 
you know, just at a very minute level whenever I graduated from college and realized, hey, I chose to do this and I actually could do it. So I think it started there. But then over the last, you know, 25 years, I've used that in every area of my life. And I realized I'm in control of this life. Uh, you know, I can't control everything that happens, but I can control how I react to everything that happens to me. Yeah. And if it's benefiting me, then, you know, I'm making those choices. And why on earth would I ever make a choice that's not benefiting me? And I've realized that. And I'm a true believer. I, I know there's outliers and, and their situations, but I truly believe you're exactly where you choose to be right mm -hmm. now. You're exactly where you choose to be in your health and your relationships in your, you know, wealth, whatever you're exactly where you choose. And if you don't want to be there anymore, if you don't like where you're at in any of those areas of your life, then make different choices and start to choose and you'll end up somewhere else. It's, it's like being at a card table, like people get this hand dealt to them like I did. And they're like, Oh, okay. This is the hand that was dealt me. I got to play it. That, that's not the case. Like discard life is life. You get to discard as many times as you want and ask for another, you, you know, deal, deal them again, man. I didn't like that hand. Yeah. And the way that you do that is by making different choices. You start to choose differently. Like if you don't like, uh, you know, if you don't like where you are financially, let start making different choices. And, mm. you know, everybody wants, everyone wants that overnight success. They see these people and it doesn't, it doesn't happen. I mean, yeah. you, you have that 15 year old who's on YouTube, who's making a million dollars and everybody wants to be that type of person. And, you know, I have a cabin up in Utah and I was up there a couple weekends ago, snowmobiling. And as I'm snowmobiling, I'm just thinking, man, I am so glad that I played the long game in my life. And it was so many reasons. It was like, hey, I have a cabin because I played the long game financially. And uh, you know what? Uh, my health. Uh, I could play as long and as hard as I wanted to because I was in good shape and I played the long game with my health. Yeah. And my wife, she couldn't come up because her grandmother was sick. But there was never a question like, oh, you're not going up there by yourself because she would think that I was up to no good or anything like that. So I was happy I played the long game in my relationships and my marriage. And, and the list just went on and on. And, you know, here I am, you know, 49 years old, looking back and so blessed that I played the long game, that I didn't look for those quick overnight successes and, yeah. you know, risk everything on that get rich quick scheme or, you know, have that one night of romance that, uh, you know, I wanted and, I was just so happy I had played that long game and I, and that now I'm reaping the benefits of that. And, yeah. you know, I, I have to pinch myself every morning. I wake up that, uh, you know, this is the way my life is turned out. Yeah. I find what you mentioned, uh, like when I'm working with people that are a bit younger and, uh, and, and you sort of do mentoring work with them, then the, um, the patience is not there. So it's, if it can't give the return at a speed at which it, which they think because of the person you mentioned on Instagram or wherever they are, then they're like, oh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not right. You know, I, I got to be able to make my, people are making money. And even the people on Instagram, they're standing in front of cars they didn't even purchase, giving you the idea that they have that money, which they don't. So um, it's, yeah. uh, no. it, 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 and it's so true. And, and, and what ends up is, 
five years passes, 10 years passes, and all of a sudden you're looking like where where in the world did five or 10 years go? I mean, especially if you have small children who are growing and getting married, you're really like reflecting back on where did the time go? But, uh, you know, I think if you're living life with purpose, uh, I'm a huge goal guy. That's what I got smarter is all about. That's my goal program and my app that I have out there. And it's really teaching people how to live life with purpose so mm-hmm. that, you, you know, we're, we're all going to get to the end of our lives and have some regrets. But if you live life with purpose, if you really live your life uh, by goals and, and really designing a life that you want to live, you're going you're gonna to get to the end of your life, hopefully with a lot less regrets than if you just yeah. kind of went the way the world pushed you and just did what kind of came to your feet. Yeah. I, I kind of had the thought as you were speaking. Uh, thank you for sharing that, by the way. Um, the moment when they came after your mother tried to commit suicide and they came to split up the family, that, might, that must have been high tension moment. Like, what's happening? Yeah. How, how yeah. old were you? I was, uh, I was 11. You're 11 year old little boy, and in a way, not knowing what's going to happen to you. I mean, that, like, my brain goes, if that didn't happen, then what would have been the trajectory of your life? Yeah. Because the blessing in disguise, of course. Yeah. And you know what? I talk about that in my book. Uh, I kind of felt at first, like, I had always felt because of the circumstances of my birth and, and what people, you know, kind of looked at me as is I was a mistake that, you know, I shouldn't have been here, that I was a product of a rape. Like that was always going through my head. And then, you know, my stepdad beating on me all the time. And it was just like, no one, you know, no one likes me. And then this happened. And then I'm the one that goes to my grandma. Now me and my grandma always had a great relationship, but it almost felt at the time that my mom had given up on me too easily. Like, okay, here's my chance to get rid of this kid. You know, he's caused me nothing but trouble. And, you know, so I felt a lot like that at, at the beginning of it. Uh, but then, you know, somewhere along the line, I realized, you know, that wasn't the case. And, uh, I think my grand put a lot of worth in me, uh, by telling me how special I was and how I was going to live a life, uh, you know, a, a great life and make something of myself. So I think that kind of got in there. And then I just started having some successes and, and started to get some value from other people. Uh, friends and uh, other families. And, you know, I always had that feeling in the back of my head, like I was pretty good at sports and um, played football and track and field. And I wrestled and I remember people coming up to me and, you know, dads who kids were on our team and man, they were just hyped me up so much, but yet I had no dad at the game. And uh, I'm thinking like all these guys are like coming up here thinking, wow, they know how good I was. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, and, and I don't have a dad here. You know, these guys are, so I, I had a lot of those feelings growing up, but fortunately, you know, uh, I was able to overcome them and, you know, I, I think it's pretty unfashionable, but the one thing I think is very important is you need to be your own biggest hero because there is no amount of cheering from the sidelines of life that are going to have you reach your potential. If you don't truly believe in yourself. 
And I think somewhere along the line, I, I started to do that and, and become my own biggest hero. And uh, I think that's made a huge difference. And, and that's, that's what I would suggest to everyone listening is, you know what, take a step back. I don't care if people think you're conceited or, or whatever. It's not about that, but it's about believing in yourself and understanding that, uh, you know, you've got this great potential inside of you. I mean, wh- one of my favorite quotes is a bird's not fearful to land on a branch because its faith is not in the branch. It's in its own wings. And uh, when we do that in our own lives, when our faith is in us, it's not in the economy, it's not on other people. When it's in us, uh, that's that's when we're going to soar. That's when we're going to take off. And that's when we're going to start living to our potential. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that, too. Like, I feel that you've come to all our viewers that we've got really nice comments like, wow, about overcoming a lot. And... Bulalang from South Africa says, I respect Nelson. I love his thinking. Mm. Um, did you ever have a moment like where you recognized, wow, this really happened? Like you grounded in uh, like for me, how that shows up, like crying and, and trying that to heal. Did you have those moments? Yeah, I mean, I have those moments. Like I said, I. I I really feel like I need to pinch myself every morning. And, and then, you know, as I said here. People, but before people, you go there, before you go there, I, I don't want you to jump over that question too quickly. Like, yeah, no. Like, help us see when were those times when you were like, oh, my God, this is worse than I ever imagined. Like, what, what was that like? What, what, when my life was worse than I ever imagined? No, no, no. When you really started to like grasp, like, oh my, this is like, like almost because when we're talking to you now, we're talking to the refined, uh, like the one who's already kind of gone beyond it. So I really want to go, and I know how Bambos also, we're all really curious, like when you go back to like, we'll talk about like going into the fetal position. Like there was like moments when we had to go back to a certain pain in order to overcome it. So what, I guess I'm, I'm reframing Bambos's question. Like when were those moments, if there were, there might not have been, but when there were, how was it for you? What, like how deep, how deep of pain did you need to go to, to start healing again? You, you know, uh, I, I don't know that I had like, those those times in my life, I mean, as a as a child, I did. I mean, okay. of course. Uh, but I think as an adult, uh, I was always looking off into the future for better times. Mm. And uh, you know, I think that still works for me. Like I, I'm still looking off into the future, and that's probably not the most healthiest thing to do because I rarely live in the present. Mm. But I mean, there were those times like. You know, at, at my in my commercial real estate days, uh, being named the number one producer in my division worldwide uh, for a top five commercial real estate firm. Like I remember looking at the guy who had won it a few years earlier, maybe five or six years earlier, mm. and telling myself, "I'm going to do that," uh, yeah. and and then working toward it, and then being able to accomplish that, wow. and then. Uh, you know, selling one of my businesses uh, and, and kind of getting that payday for all of that work. And then having my oldest son get married, um, mm. you know, and, and having that, uh, celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary to my wife. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, there's all these things that I just look back at like, wow, I, I've, you know, I've done it. Uh, so yeah. There, there, there's incredible. Always- I mean, it really does. It, it's funny. Cause um, like, so sort of Bambos, I speak for mine and, but I, I, we often share, like we had to overcome so much and go to such deep, dark places. Uh, and what, what, we, what I've noticed, right. On our, some of our shows we'll ask, cause there's a certain assumption people need to go into those dark places. But actually what we're finding out more and more, which I think is fascinating is sometimes people's mindset is so fixed on, I'm going to make this a better thing that they actually don't need to wallow in the pain. It's like, no, that's been there, done that. It's time to like move on. And it's quite fascinating to see because in one way that defines your success. So it's not a big surprise, is it? Because you didn't need to sit there and say, oh my God, woe is me. It's like, no, I have things to do and I don't have time. I don't have much time to get it done. Yeah. And and, and I think, I think my mindset's always been like that. Like if it's not benefiting me, why, why on earth am I there? I mean, one of my, one of my strongest concepts is things only have the meaning you're willing to give them. Mm. And if we get to assign meaning to everything in our lives, why on earth are we going to assign a negative meaning? So I get as creative as possible, no matter how bad the circumstances or how dire the circumstances is, how can I, you know, where, where's the silver lining in this? What, what can I benefit from? What's it teaching me? What am I learning? You know, and I give it a positive meaning and, uh, yeah, we've spent, we've spent a lot of time, even to the point that I've driven Bombos a little bit crazy because we've had some people on that are, um, are scientists or that in the area of the neuro, the neurotransmitters and the connections one makes. And it's kind of fascinating because um, we were talking that, of course, you have an experience and then the experience is, really, uh, is connected to an, uh, a feeling and to an idea. So what I hear you doing is being very consequent about making sure that your experiences are connected to ideas that serve you, not to ones that take you down a negative loop. So it's it's quite fascinating to hear it, even in your way, who's not, you're doing it more practically where other people will do, uh, they'll do cognitive therapy where they'll help people who have a negative association to an idea, create a different association to that same uh, idea. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that that was the circumstances of my birth. Like I said, I never told anybody about that. When I moved away from that town, I didn't want anyone to know that. And now, as I said here, I'm telling the world this story about, you know, my grandfather and me and my mom. And it, not, those circumstances didn't change. The only thing that changed was the meaning that I gave it. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people can do that with some, a lot of traumatic things in their lives is, Mm. I am the person who I am because of that. And if I would have traded that, who knows where I would have ended up? Uh, who, who knows what type of life I would have ended up living? Who knows what type of husband I would have been if I would have had a normal father in the home or what type of father I would have been? Uh, or just slightly irritating father that I didn't like. Where, where, where would I be as opposed to... Yeah making a promise to myself, I'm never going to be that type of husband. I'm never going to be that type of father. Uh, and now that's made me the man that I am. So we've got to get creative with some of this trauma in our lives and uh, spin it, find the silver lining and uh, give it that positive, positive meaning and let it propel your life. Don't, don't let it drag you down. Mm. You know what I love is if we put you in a turban and you slowed your speech down by about 50%, we could turn you into a guru very easily. 
Because <laughs> all of the insight you're speaking from is the same insight that anyone who's come through a vast journey, which creates the deeper awareness, right? It's not, you're not speaking from something you read in a book, you're speaking from an experience. And then that experience sort of supports others who are struggling. And that's basically what every, what every guru does, except they, they, they don't wear a baseball cap, they wear a turban. So in that way, we can, uh, we can, we can spruce you up a little bit and put you on a pedestal. And then all of a sudden you could have followers. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just, you know what, that was part of my book is I wanted people to realize that I didn't just learn this on the internet. I didn't learn it in a book. I absolutely have learned a lot from the internet and a lot from the book, but I've lived it. And then I've, I've practiced those strategies and techniques. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of things is people will learn these things. People will hear these things that we're talking about. But they only do you good if you're actually going to put them into practice. Yeah. And people are always out there looking for the the newest knowledge and uh, the newest spin on something. But if they would just take what they already know and say, "Okay, I'm implementing this in my life," th their lives would be infinitely better in a year or five years or ten years. And that's what my program, I Got Smarter, does. Is we don't have a knowledge problem when it comes to achieving our goals. We have an execution problem. We yeah. just don't do what we know we need to do. And that's what my program will help people do. I love it. I absolutely Beautiful. love it. I, if people are interested, what is the website that they would go to? Or how do they find you for more information? Yeah, you can go to nelsontressler.com and everything is there. Uh, the book, The Unlucky Sperm Club, You're Not a Victim of Your Circumstances, But a Product of Your Choices is available everywhere books are sold. It's probably easiest at Amazon. And like I said, it's on Audible. Uh, and then I read the book, write a review. Yes, please. Yes. Write please a review. Write that's the, that's the, the bane of every author's, uh, frustration is that the getting the reviews of people who've read their book, you know, you know what? I, I love it though. Uh, I think I've got 70 reviews and the, it's a five star. So, nice. uh, I'm stoked. I'm stoked about that, that people are enjoying it. And then my program, I Got Smarter, it's all one word, I Got Smarter. You can find that at igotsmarter.com, and it's available at the app stores, both Android and Apple. Nice. Thank you. I just want to say, Nelson, that what I really appreciate about you, it feels like you didn't leave any stone unturned in your past where you didn't shine love. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that about you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, I, I try to give everything in my life a positive meaning. And uh, I've carried grudges around earlier on in my life and it didn't benefit me. Uh, yeah. And you know what? This is my life. Uh, you know, carrying around a grudge is like uh, drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Right. And yeah. uh, never works. So uh, yeah. I want to be happy. I, I don't want to drag that baggage around with me and I don't want to be that type of person. So I'm trying my best to uh, to live the life that I'm going to be proud of when I get to the end of it. Beautiful. Thank you. Love you. Thank you for being with us. It was really a great, great to be with you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it. That was quite a journey, wasn't it? Yeah, remarkable. Something that he said that really touched me. I mean, a lot of things he said touched me. But one of the things was that, and I and I and I see this happen a lot in me as I make an assumption that 
when someone went through a trauma at a young age, that 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 would be something that might have been hard to recover from. And what I find interesting is that when one is lived that life, they don't know the difference. So it's a, there's it's strange. There's an arrogance in it, and that, that I'm discovering is that oh, that life was experienced as a struggle, where in actuality it just was their life. So if you don't know the difference, you don't even think that it was bad per se. It just was the way you were living, and you just kind of assume, well, people kind of have the same issues. Yeah, so we made that. We, we kind of had that assumption through mm-hmm. the question. But there's another experience. Yeah, I find that very beautiful, and and I love. Actually, I love how open we are that that able to exist. Yeah, me too. Kind of using to discover that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow. Well, I think we can call that a day, right? So we're gonna see you guys tomorrow. Yes, we will. Thank you for joining us on another episode of. A wonderful chaos. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.